uh, passage by passage through the book of Genesis. And so this morning we are in Genesis chapter 29. If you'd open your copy of the scriptures to Genesis 29, we have um, copies of of the scriptures there in the pulpits, or rather in the uh, pews in front of you. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that as your word is uh, opened and as it is uh, read and proclaimed, I ask that we would see Jesus Christ and that we would indeed praise him, praise him. I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us and help us to understand what we uh, read, but even more than that, uh, help us to believe what we hear. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. John Wesley, as you know, was the founder of the Methodist Church, and you can tell that um, in the generations that preceded me that uh, there was a uh, Methodist stock in the Holland family, uh, thus my father's name, um, William Wesley, and so I am William Wesley uh, Jr. John Wesley was one of the greatest evangelists of all times, even in spite of his deficiencies in theology at, at, at different points. After he left college, um, or after college, he, he left England, and he came to Savannah, uh, to Savannah, Georgia, as a missionary. And he only lasted there less than two years. And when he left, he was an almost total failure. Uh, the people of Savannah were, real, were literally drumming him out of the country. You don't usually hear this about uh, John Wesley. Well, here's what happened when he was in Savannah. He was 32 when he came to Savannah. Um, but to supplement his salary, and he was working as a missionary, uh, but to supplement his salary, he tutored the daughter of a wealthy leader in Savannah. Uh, the name of this, this um, of the woman he was tutoring was Sophie, Sophia Hop, Hopke, and she was 18 years old. John Wesley, even though he was 32, she was 18, they fell in love. He encouraged her along. And then uh, suddenly his conscience got the better, better of him and uh, he um, was convicted that he shouldn't have a romantic interest in, in his student and he broke off the relationship without much warning. After Wesley broke off the relationship, uh, Sophia, in her distress, suddenly decided to run off with another, with another gentleman and uh, she got married. They uh, traveled up the Savannah River over into South Carolina and got married. Um, a couple of months later, when Sophia and her new husband uh, came to church where John Wesley was, was the pastor, he refused to allow her to take communion. And so Sophia's husband then sued John Wesley for defamation. It turned into a mess. It turned into a real mess. Uh, the upshot was John Wesley was run out of Savannah in humiliation. Uh, and it was on his on the way back to England. It was a four-month trip back across the, the Atlantic. 
but on his way back to England, a great storm blew up, um, enveloped the ship, and that storm became a pivotal event in John Wesley's spiritual development. If it had not been for the disaster in Savannah, it is unlikely that John Wesley would have had the powerful ministry that he ended up having. I tell you this story to highlight the truth that God uses every event in our life, every circumstance, um, every joy, every disappointment, even every failure, in order to press forward His purposes in our lives. If you are a Christian, everything that happens in your life God is using for good. Uh, if you're a Christian, then every happy event, every sadness, even every failure is a good gift from God. And He sends it into your life because He loves you. He's working everything for your good. His intent is to make you more like Jesus Christ. God is a sovereign God who is in control of everything. He governs all of His creatures and all of their actions. And so to bring us to Genesis chapter 29, it was ultimately God who brought Jacob to Haran. Uh, so let's look at the passage together. Follow along with me. I'll read uh, verses 1 through 14. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in a field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's, on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. And he said to them, it is, is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel his daughter is coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock, the, no, sorry, the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone. And, uh, I'm sorry, surely you are bone are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Does this story sound familiar to you? Do you recall how Abraham's servant uh, Eliezer was sent from the land of Canaan 
to find a wife for, for Isaac. Do you remember how Eliezer first met Isaac's wife? He met her by a well as she came to draw water for the sheep. The parallels between um, Eliezer meeting Rebecca and Jacob meeting Rachel are stunning. Uh, Jacob met his future wife Rachel um, by, a, by a well as well. Um, that looked better in my notes. <laughs> I thought that would somehow come off as a pun. If you never try, you never... Oh well. Stop while I'm, while I'm behind. Anyway, Rebecca ran back to the house and she told her brother. Um, and so uh, a generation later, Rebecca runs back to her house and she tells Laban, but uh, Laban is uh, no longer the brother, rather he is the father of Rachel. I think Moses wanted us to see these parallels when he wrote the book of Genesis. He wanted us to compare this passage where uh, Eliezer met Rebecca with this passage where Jacob meets Rachel. He wants us to see the comparisons. He also wants us to see the contrast. Um, and uh, there's there the similarities I've already mentioned, but there are also uh, a gr- one great contrast. If you'll remember back, Eliezer, when he came near to, Har- to Haran, he prayed for God's guidance. He prayed diligently for God's guidance. His utmost desire was to depend upon the Lord and so honor God in the process. Uh, but when Jacob came to Haran, he doesn't pray. In fact, we see nothing, no evidence of the Lord being on Jacob's mind at all. He did not pray that God would lead him. He did not seem to care if God was honored or not. He did not give God thanks for giving him a safe and successful journey as Eliezer had done. There is a complete contrast here between Eliezer, who was just a servant, and Jacob, who was an heir of the promise. Eliezer loved God. It is clear Jacob does not. Jacob loves Jacob. Let me ask you this. How do you live your life? Do you look more like Eliezer or more like Jacob? Do you depend daily upon the Lord? Do you seek His guidance for the direction of your life? Do you pray that God would give you success in your daily endeavors? Or do you live your life like Jacob, according to your own wisdom, according to your own ability? Do you make your decisions based on what God would want? Or do you base your decisions on your own desires? I fear that many many professing Christians live their lives more like Jacob than like Eliezer, according to their own wisdom and ability. Um, But then... A lot of Christians come to church, come to church events, come to Sunday worship, and so they allow themselves to live, to think that they're living the Christian life, even though in reality they're living more like Jacob 
So I ask you again, does your life look more like Eliezer's life or more like Jacob's life? There's another contrast here. It's not nearly as important. But the, the other contrast is that Jacob came without any wealth. He did not come with a large caravan uh, of camels loaded down with, with expensive gifts that uh, he would use as a dowry. Jacob, for all practical purposes, was broke. He had to flee from his father's house. He fled all by himself. He traveled all alone. could carry um, only what he could um, uh, bring with him. And the text says that Jacob stayed with Laban a month. And as he's been with him a month or so, Laban approached him about a job. Now this is pure conjecture on my part, but I assume that Laban knew that when he approached Jacob about a job and what should your payment be, I'm assuming that Laban had realized that that Jacob had his fancy was really on on his daughter Rachel. Uh, I assume that uh, Laban knew that he would ask for Rachel's hand in marriage as payment for his work. Um, because you know, after a month of living there, he was smitten with Rachel from the first moment he saw her, and so I think that was pretty clear. So look with me at verses fifteen through twenty. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what you what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served uh, served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Ah, uh, true love is a beautiful thing. Jacob served for seven years, but they only seemed to him a few days because of the love he had for Rachel. Right out of the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Happily ever after, right? Well, there was one very big problem with this arrangement that Jacob had worked out with Laban. The problem was Jacob was dealing with a dishonest broker. Uh, Laban had no intention of holding up his, his end of the bargain. He was planning on cheating Jacob, I believe, right from the beginning. So let's see what's happened. What, what happened? Uh, look with me at verses 21 through 30. Then Laban, I'm sorry. Then Jacob said to Laban, "Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed." So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And when he went and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant uh, Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so 
so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Billah to his servant Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel, uh, went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Given the facts that um, the bride typically wore a veil, plus there was no electricity, and it was at night when they finished up the celebrations, plus the fact that there was plenty of booze flowing at the wedding celebration, um, I think it was a pretty easy scheme for Laban to pull off, sending his daughter Leah in uh, to, to Jacob on his uh, wedding night. Look at verse 25. It's dripping with irony. Verse 25 says, And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Now I have to ask you, what right does Jacob have, uh, him of all people, to be upset that he was deceived? <laughs> Jacob was, Jacob deceived his father. Jacob cheated his brother. You know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been chronicling Jacob's sins. Well, we can add to this uh, that he was also a hypocrite getting upset that he was deceived by Laban. I wonder if anyone else has acted in a similar fashion. Have you ever been enraged at someone for doing something to you um, while you being guilty of doing the very same thing? Or have you ever judged someone and looked down your nose at them while at the same time doing the very same thing that they were doing? Romans 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? We read a little earlier with the children. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. First of all, take that log or that brick out of your eye in order that you might be able to truly help your brother or sister who is... Um, singing against God. That's why James 2 tells us to be merciful rather than judgmental. Listen to James. James says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown mercy, who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs 
over judgment. As a sinner, saved by God's grace and by His mercy, we must seek God for His grace in order to make mercy our instinct when dealing with others. If mercy were our instinct, how many broken relationships would not be broken right now? If mercy were our instinct, how many angry words would not have left our lips that that have left our lips? Or how much stress would be avoided? Christ has been, Christ continues to be merciful to you. He laid down His life while you were still a sinner. He loved you even while you hated Him. By His grace, be merciful. We have here in this passage two deceitful men. They were manipulative and they're struggling for the upper hand. We have Laban in this corner. We have Jacob in this corner. Who's going to win? God's going to win. God is a master chess player. He's a million moves ahead of us. We try and live our lives sometimes with little or no thought of God. And He uses even those decisions, even those sins that we commit for His glory and our good. Let me just pause for a moment because we're on holy ground at this moment, at this this point. God is the sovereign God. He is in control of every event. He is in control of every circumstance. He is infinitely wiser than our wisest thought. He is beyond our ability to figure out. Romans chapter 11. No one is able to to plumb the depth of God's wisdom. But He's also infinitely good and He can be trusted in any and every circumstance. I know we like to be in control, but it is better, infinitely better, if we simply entrust ourselves to God. He will take care of you. He promises to work all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We've been seeing it every point through Genesis. Abraham trying to bring uh, his life under his own control. Isaac trying to bring his circumstances under his own control. Lot earlier trying to bring his circumstances under his own control. Jacob trying to live his life according to his own wisdom. And in every instance, it ended up bringing a lot of sadness, a lot of humiliation, a lot of brokenness in the family. Trust God. He can, He will take care of you. Remember Paul's reason in Romans chapter 8? Paul says, if Christ did not spare His life, but laid it down for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Christ did not hesitate to go to the cross 
then you can know that He will be faithful to you and He will bring to pass all of His promises to you. God's promise to Jacob was that He would make uh, Jacob into a mighty nation. We're going to see um, next week, Lord willing, that Jacob's two wives plus a whole lot of petty jealousy are going to result in Jacob having many children with which he is going to build a large family. Through the mess that is Jacob's life, God is going to bring forth a nation that is going to be a blessing to all the other nations of the earth. Why is the nation that God is going to bring forth be a blessing? Because from this nation, God is going to bring the Messiah who would bear the sins of sinners in His body on the cross. I'm bringing the sermon to conclusion. I want to reiterate what I said at the beginning and what I've said throughout the sermon. Every event, whether good or evil, works for the good of God's elect. God loved us well before we loved Him. In fact, we only love Him because He first loved us. The elect experience God's love long before they know God's love. I look back at my life and the way that God uh, kept me from being even more uh, stupid than I was, I was would have otherwise have been. Um, I'm sure you can look back at different points in your life, and you can see. God's hand on your life even before you became a Christian, even before you loved God. Ways in which He directed you to bring you to Himself. John Wesley was doing many things that made him look like like he loved God very much. Before he went off to England to become a missionary, he was a part of the Holy Club. He was praying so many times a day. He was memorizing all this Scripture. He was reading Scripture. He was doing all these wonderful things. Everybody looked upon John Wesley, admired him greatly. But because God loved John Wesley so much, He sent him to Savannah. And He exposed John Wesley's heart. He exposed the self-centeredness in Wesley's heart. And when John Wesley left Georgia to sail back to England, he was probably thinking, my life just can't get any worse than it already is. And all of a sudden, God calls this this great storm, whether it was a hurricane or not, we don't know, but this great storm to come upon the ship. John Wesley thought that the entire ship was going to sink. He thought everybody was going to die. But in the midst of the storm, he noticed a group of Christians. And they were trusting God. And he began to say, Why don't I trust God like they trust God? And he realized that his faith was of a very different quality than theirs. God was loving John Wesley in the middle of that storm. Because he was showing uh, John Wesley that Wesley's faith was really in his own abilities. In his own abilities to be holy. In his own abilities to be a pastor. His own abilities to, to, to live a godly life. And 
through these Christians that were on the ship who were worshiping God, who were trusting God in the middle of the storm, he realized that his faith is not in the quality of his faith. His faith can only be directed to Jesus Christ. And there, his faith found a resting place. One more application and we'll be done. Do you struggle to love other people well? Do you struggle to uh, look beyond your own interest and to the interest of others? Jacob and Laban only look to their own interest. Our God looked beyond His interest. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, looked beyond His interest. And He went to the cross for us. Um, He is the only way for you to love well. He is the only way for you to walk with God. He is the only way. Uh, He is the only object of your faith. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to remember Jesus Christ. That because we have Him, we have everything. And though we go through the storms of life, often taking our eyes off of you, um, although we we often um, sin even high-handedly against you, we thank you that Christ loves us and is always merciful to us, that His salvation um, is full and complete. Father, I pray for any who do not uh, yet know Jesus Christ, that You would draw them to Yourself. For those uh, souls who do know You, I pray that You would help them to keep their eyes fixed on Him. I ask in His name. Amen.